Well, we're continuing our morning series on heroes of the faith this morning by reading from the book of Joshua. Under Joshua's leadership, God's people had taken ownership of the promised land and divided it among themselves. And as he neared the end of his life, Joshua called the people together for an assembly that we'll read about in Joshua 24. This is an especially good text for us this week as Reformation Day is coming up toward the end of the week. We're part of the Reformed Church, and so we look back to the Reformation as a time that church leaders called the church back to be more faithful to God and to the Bible. We could say a lot of things about what it means to be Reformed, but two of the key themes of the Reformation are first that we learn about God through the Scriptures. The Bible gives us the story that shapes our lives. And second, we receive our salvation from God as a gift. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith. We'll pick up on some of those themes in different ways through the sermon today. Now, as we turn to Joshua 24, most of this chapter is a conversation between Joshua and God's people, the Israelites. So I'm going to ask that you as the congregation, as God's gathered people, read the parts of this chapter where the people speak. So we'll have a sense of this as a conversation. You'll see that clearly marked on the screen as we read. Let's together read God's word to his people this morning. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought you, your fathers, out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued, pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet out ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings." You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away 
the gods your forefathers worshipped before the river, beyond the river, and in Egypt, and served the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. This is God's word for us, his people, this morning. A few weeks ago, Laura and the boys took a weekend trip out to South Dakota to visit Laura's grandparents on their farm. And in our family, a trip to South Dakota means some particular things. Great-grandpa is going to spoil the kids as much as he possibly can. There will be tractor rides. There will be rides on every single tractor they have. And there will be combine rides and rides on four-wheelers. And there will be lots of animals to look at. Sheeps and cows and cats and dogs. Anything you want. When we mention South Dakota in our family, there's a whole set of images that come to mind right away from our family history. Now Joshua 24 is set in a place that would bring up a number of images for the people of Israel. They assembled at Shechem, which for us is basically just another name. But in the readings from Genesis that we've done this morning, we followed on a journey that took God's people to Shechem again and again. We opened our service by reading from Genesis 12. And in that story, God calls Abraham to go from his country, from his people, and from his father's house, and to go to the land that God will show him. Abraham and his household set out, and as they travel through and enter the promised land, they come to Shechem. 
And at Shechem, the Lord appears to Abram and renews his promise that he will give Abraham children and a land. So he builds an altar there at Shechem and thanks God for his renewed promises. And a number of years later, Abraham's grandson Jacob and his household also come to Shechem. And we read that story for our time of confession and commitment this morning. And when they stopped at Shechem, Jacob told his household to get rid of their foreign gods and purify themselves. And the members of his household gave Jacob all their gods, and Jacob buried them there. And after that, God again renewed his promise that he would make Abraham's descendants a great people, and he would lead them into their promised place. And when we come to Joshua 24, again, God's people have gathered at Shechem. Shechem, where God renewed his promise to Abram. Shechem, where Jacob and his family had buried their idols and set out to serve only the Lord. Shechem, a place of remembering and renewal. Now for us today, church is another one of those places that generates a lot of images. If someone mentions going to church, maybe you get a picture of the sanctuary and you remember particular times, particular prayers, particular sermons, or particular important gatherings that have happened over the years. But then again, maybe you remember sitting in the pews and waiting through a sermon that seemed like it would never end. Or maybe you remember a day where you dragged yourself to church and wondered why you even bothered. If you have kids, they probably ask you every now and then why we need to go to church again today. And honestly, most of us adults ask that question sometimes too. Why do we have to come to this place again week after week? Now, one sermon isn't enough to deal with all of that question, but our text for today can help us to see coming to church as part of the Christian story of remembering, renewal, and redemption. And let's start with remembering. Joshua 24 is mostly a conversation between Joshua and God's people. Joshua starts the conversation out by giving a long list of God's mighty deeds on behalf of Abraham and his descendants. Remember, he says, remember. Now, there's a lot of things in verses 2 to 13, but all of them emphasize that God has continually taken the initiative to deliver his people. Joshua is tracing out how over the centuries, God has cared for his promised people generation after generation. The purpose of Joshua's big, long speech there is to help the people remember what God has done for them. And that remembering is intended to shape their self-identity. Once in my high school chemistry class, a couple of the lab groups got into this huge argument about Star Wars. It wasn't exactly on topic for the chemistry course, but that was when the new Star Wars movie had just come out, and some of those kids were just unbelievably excited about it. One group thought that this was just the coolest thing ever, and they were raving about all the times they'd gone to see the new movies, and how much they watched the old movies, and how much money they'd spent on Star Wars stuff, and which character they would most like to be. But the group next to them really was not into Star Wars. They thought that was the stupidest thing ever, and they just wanted to get on with the lab. So the group started going back and forth, and finally one of the groups was like, why in the world would you want to watch those movies more than once? And the Star Wars group almost fainted in shock. And one of them exclaimed with total disgust and superiority in his voice, because we like them, because they're great stories, because they matter. Now, whatever you think of Star Wars, whatever you think of watching movies more than once, 
The fact of the matter is that the stories we pay attention to shape our lives, sometimes in good ways and sometimes in kind of weird, frightening ways. Now, if you think a story is really interesting, you'll pay attention to it. If you think it's great, you'll keep coming back to it. And if you keep paying attention to a story, it will shape you, how you live, and how you view the world. The stories that we pay attention to will shape our lives. When Joshua brought the people to Shechem and told them about God's mighty deeds, he was giving them a story to shape their lives. And the core of that story was that God had acted to save his people. So why do we come to church again week after week? Well, we come to remember. We come to be reminded that God has acted to save us, his people. We are a forgetful people. And we need constant, continual reminders of God's mighty deeds on our behalf. If we're going to keep following the Lord our God, we need to keep telling each other this story. The Lord our God has saved us, and here are the stories of how he's done it. We need to remember this story. And so we come to church every week, and in all kinds of different ways, we retell and we relive this story so that it shapes us. So Joshua calls the people to Shechem. And he begins by telling the people to remember the mighty works of God on their behalf. But then Joshua turns to the people and he says, it's time to renew the covenant. In verse 14, Joshua tells the people that it's time to serve the Lord and to throw away their other gods. Joshua is closing down the easy middle option here. You, he's saying, you, are you going to serve the Lord or other gods? You have been reminded of what the Lord has done for you. And now, what is your response going to be? The story that we read from Genesis 35 is echoing in the background here. In that story, Jacob told his household to get rid of their other gods and to purify themselves for the Lord. And Jacob's household got rid of their idols. And Jacob buried them at Shechem. And then those people left their idols at Shechem and they went on to worship the Lord their God. Joshua is demanding a similar response in this text this morning. He wants the people to explicitly renew their exclusive commitment to the Lord. So Joshua asked the people who they will serve. And of course, the people reply in verse 16 that they will serve the Lord. But Joshua doesn't seem to think that the Israelites are taking this seriously enough. You are not able to serve the Lord, Joshua tells them. The Lord is holy and jealous, and he will not put up with your rebellion and your sin. If you want to renew the covenant with the Lord today, you had better mean it. You can't pay off the Lord with a certain percentage of your time and money. You need to be all in here, says Joshua, or all out. You can't do this halfway. The Lord requires an exclusive commitment. Now, most ancient peoples around that time believed in a whole group of gods, but they didn't really believe that any particular god was too demanding. It was a divine marketplace, and people would go to different gods to get different services. So you'd pay off one particular god in order to get rain for the harvest, and you'd pay another god to protect you from your enemies, and you'd pay off another god so that your family would grow and increase. 
And none of the gods seemed to mind this arrangement as long as they got paid for the services that they provided. These days, your mechanic doesn't really care where you buy your groceries. Your telephone company doesn't care where you fill your car up with gas. As long as you pay their bill, you can do whatever you want with the rest of your money. In the ancient world, religion was about economic transactions, not so much about personal relationships with the God. And of course, that's not a theme that's unique to the time of the Old Testament. Before the Reformation, there was a time when certain segments of the church got into the habit of selling these things called indulgences. And at their worst, these indulgences were presented as a way to buy off the guilt from your sin. If you bought an indulgence for yourself or for your family and friends, they had family and friends plans back then too, whoever you bought the indulgence for got their guilt reduced by a certain amount. And the more you paid, the less guilt you had remaining. One of the most shameless salesmen of these indulgences, Johannes Tetzel, was credited with a nice little, so, nice little slogan, the moment the coin in the coffer rings, the soul into heaven springs. Of course, it was a little more complicated than that. But this was basically making Christianity into an economics religion. Pay God his reasonable due and you get what you want. But Joshua in this chapter is trying to hammer into the Israelites' head that the Lord is not like that. If the people want a business-like relationship with their God, the Lord is not the God for them. Either they respond by renewing their exclusive commitment to the Lord, or they leave and they go deal with other gods. And of course, the people say again, yeah, 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 we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua formally, formally renews the covenant between God and his people, and he sets up a stone to remind the people of what they promised. So again, why do we come to church? Well, we don't come just to do religious transactions. Coming to church is not about filling up our credit ledger with God. We don't come to make payments and get benefits. In Christian worship, we come to church to renew the covenant we have with the Lord our God. We come to reaffirm the lived commitment we have to Him. We come to strengthen and to renew the relationship we have with God. And part of that means throwing away other gods. So this morning, we all have to ask which gods we're serving. John Calvin used to say that the human heart was a factory of idols, and we keep bringing out new models, new idols, new gods all the time. But really, no matter what idols we manufacture, in a sense, when we're serving other gods, what we really end up doing is acting like a two-year-old whose favorite words are mine and no. Can you help me with this? No. Will you share that with me? Mine. Mine. No. A lot of our idolatries boil down to keeping things to ourselves and to shutting out God and shutting out other people. So we come to church to learn to change our attitudes and our actions. Instead of no and mine, we come to church to learn to say, I'm sorry and thank you. Two of the most important things we learn here are repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. And gratitude. Lord, thank you. If you can't swallow your pride and tell someone you're sorry, your relationship is in deep, deep trouble. 
I think one of the most dangerous places for our marriages and for any of our relationships to be is when someone in the relationship refuses to get off their high horse and just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry are words that renew and change the landscape of a relationship. Now, of course, when it comes to our relationship with God, he is always in the right. But God did not choose to stand on his rights. We see that most of all in Jesus when God laid down his own life to save us from all our petty pride, from all our sin, and from all our false gods. When we were stuck saying mine and no, God in Jesus said yes to saving us. In Jesus, God speaks a gracious yes, and he says mine about each one of us as his children. And so when it comes time for us to respond, gratitude and repentance are the order of the day. And that's what we do in worship week after week. We come to God as a broken people. We run after other gods, we wrong other people, and we even damage ourselves. So we need to come before God and repair the relationship. That's why we have times of confession and repentance in our services. Because just like with any important relationship, we need to clear things up when they've gone wrong. We need to start by saying, I'm sorry, if we're going to grow past the rough spots in our face. And of course, every week we also respond in gratitude. Every week we again renew our commitment to respond to God with thankfulness. Sometimes we come and we really feel into it. Sometimes we come and we just aren't really all that into it at all. But still we come week after week. We bring our songs and our prayers to praise the Lord. And we prepare before Him to continue living lives of gratitude. We come to church to renew our relationship with the Lord and to be renewed to serve him in the days ahead. But of course, since we live in a broken world, even in our renewing of the covenant, we have to rely on the Lord our God. Joshua 24 ends on a fairly high note. Though people have renewed their covenant with the Lord and then they're dismissed to go and live in their inheritance. But when we come to Judges, the very next book in the Bible... Within a couple chapters, the people have forgotten all that the Lord did to him and they've already returned to serving other gods. The very next generation of God's people forsook the Lord and went back to the divine marketplace because they felt like they could get a better deal with other gods. And that's part of the whole story of faith. God's people never kept the covenant. They never respected the relationship. They never stayed truly faithful to the Lord their God. For the Israelites and for us, on our own strength, this is a hopeless cause. If any of you can honestly think back over the last week and say that you have never, not even once, strayed a little bit from the Lord God, I want to talk to you after the service. First, because I want to congratulate you and shake your hand. And second, because you have a pride issue that we really need to talk about. Even when we respond right to God some of the time, we don't get everything right all of the time. If we were saved by what we do, we would be in a heap of trouble. There's this perception out there that when people come to church, we tell everybody to be a good person. And so what we're doing here is we're trying to make a bunch of good people. 
And in one way, that's true. If we really do follow the Lord, we will in the end be made into good people. But that is not the reason that we gather here. The reason we gather week after week is to be reminded that even though we are not good enough, God has made us his children anyway. In Joshua 24, Joshua speaks on God's behalf and he leads the people to remember what God has done and to respond by renewing the covenant. But ultimately, Joshua was just a man. He was just just a guy. He did good work. He stood between God and the people and he helped to maintain the relationship. But then he died. And when he died, things fell apart. Joshua was a very imperfect mediator. But that role of mediator, that thing that Joshua did so imperfectly, Jesus later did perfectly. After Joshua's death, the people fell away from the Lord and they fell further and further away. But Jesus, through his own death, forged a new covenant between God and his people and that covenant that we live in will last forever. On the cross, Jesus performed the greatest act of God on our behalf and at the same time, he eternally renewed our covenant. We are able to come every week and worship the Lord because Jesus' body and blood provided for our salvation. Jesus himself is our eternal witness, our stone of remembering, if you like, that we belong to God forever. Our relationship with God is a gift. It's not something we earn. And similarly, even our worship is a gift, not something we accomplish. We don't come and do worship just right so that God will be happy with us. That's the divine marketplace idea. The idea that we do the right thing and somehow we're paying off God to get what we want. That's not how this works. In Christian worship, God graciously calls us into his presence and he enables us to respond. Now, when we come before the Lord, we try to get it right. We try to pray and to sing with the right spirit of reverence. We try to preach. We try to do everything in the right way. But worship is not about our performance. It is not about us getting everything right. Worship is about us gratefully responding to what the Lord our God has done for us. Only Christ opens the way for us to truly worship the Lord. And only the Holy Spirit makes us able to worship in spirit and in truth. Worship comes right when we rely on the Lord our God. We don't depend on getting everything right ourselves. We depend on the fact that God has redeemed us in Christ. So finally, why do we come to church week after week? We come to church to remember what the Lord our God has done for us. We come because we need constant reminders of the gospel story that shapes our lives. And we also come to church to renew our relationship with the Lord. We come to renew our commitment to the Lord our God. We come to lay down our self-centered idolatries and to practice repentance and to practice gratitude. And we come to church finally to practice relying on God's work on our behalf. We come to church to rest from our failed attempts at self-salvation. We come to rest on the perfect, finished redemption that Christ our Lord has given us. 
when we come to church, may, you, may we always come ready to remember God's mighty deeds on our behalf, to renew our commitment to him, and to rejoice in our redemption.